0: So last week, we preached on the power of words. Neil started us with that, and I encourage you to listen or watch that if you missed it. It is very edifying and strengthening. Uh, Today, we're gonna look at the topic of finances and what God says about that from the book of Proverbs. Now, when I say what God says about that, I say that with great intentionality because the book of Proverbs is often viewed as a collection of practical virtuous truisms. Uh, They might look at this a little more like authoritative than a fortune cookie you could get, but kind of on par with other philosophical sayings or books or quotes. In fact, more people are prone to quote like Thomas Jefferson or maybe like a modern writer like Jordan Peterson or even Andy Griffith, then they would be the book of Proverbs, or they kind of view it all like, hey, it all falls in that same collection of, this is going to help you for the day. I know that some people might look down on the book of Proverbs because it was written by Solomon, who was in many ways a destructive, hedonistic polygamist. And so we can find ourselves saying like, I just don't know if I can uh, believe what he writes here. But let me remind us, this is God's word. God wrote this for our sanctification and for us to know Jesus Christ and to grow in our faith. And according to 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, not just portions of it, all of it is breathed out by God and it is useful and profitable for our training in righteousness. So what does God have to say to us? from the book of Proverbs regarding finances and money management and this whole topic of wealth? Well, he has plenty to say. Now, let me begin with this main idea. If you're taking notes, you would wanna write this down. Financial faithfulness begins with God. Financial faithfulness begins with God. As we work through this, I want you to see that God provides us with a rich groundwork for our financial living. Now, we live in a society that is driven by money. All day long, society has one form or another, money in our face. So if we see corruption, people say, follow the money, right? We have half the commercials that you watch. It's a sale for clothes that you wanna buy or like tractors are on sale or that kind of stuff. Investment groups saying, hey, we're gonna make your money go farther, faster than the other guy. When you every day, For me at least, every day I open the mailbox, there's a new coupon in one way or another and they just go right in the trash can unless it's like a BOGO at Subway or something. I always find myself like, I don't know, should I throw it away? And then I don't even use it anyway. Like, I just keep it. Well, handling money is definitely a thing that's in our face. I know for newlyweds, it tends to be a pretty big tension in every marriage in one way or another, but definitely for a newly married couple, it's one of the topics that Lynn and I help couples talk through when they're preparing to get married, and what they discover is like, yes, they're in love, oh, love, and then then they're like, one person wants to spend the money, and one person wants to save all the money, not always, but usually there's that distinction and when that happens, there's all this tension. And so you have the person who wants to save it all. Like after the honeymoon, they bust out the Excel spreadsheet to their spouse. And they're like, all right, this is how we're going to spend our money. And the spouse is like, what did I just marry? I don't know what happened here. And this can happen. And you know, one of, the, one of God's greatest gifts he gave me was a wife who spends money and has helped me to learn the value and the importance of that. Without her, I'd be wearing the same t shirts from college. And I would uh, be in, uh, have a lot less fun in life, to be honest. But again, even in society, we have all sorts of uh, financial things in our face, and they're not necessarily even bad things like the uh, corruption or whatever it may be. You have financial recommendations from resources like Financial Peace University, which I highly encourage all of you to do after the service. Stop by the Welcome Center, we'll get you the link. You should look at the resources, join one of our cohorts that goes through this material and grow and get healthy in that area of finances. You can even just, You know, when it comes to other recommendations in society, there's quick guides you can see in tweets regarding overcoming overspending. One would be, hey, just spend 80%, save 10% or give 10%. Uh, Another financial strategy could be, you know, let your money make money or prioritize retirement planning like start a Roth IRA when you're young and just pour into that, you know, every year. Even the old adage, don't spend more money than you make might be, what you see on a sticker or something, right? Well, all these things have their place. They all can be beneficial at different times. But what I want us to see this morning is that God provides us with a rich groundwork for our financial living, no matter your age, no matter your work situation or your net worth or what you're facing, the tensions you're feeling right now or what you may in the future. These truths do not necessarily negate Practical financial planning or investment strategies. There are some things that we should all look at. There are some things that uh, some of us should look at regarding some financial planning or others should not. You know, it just depends on the situation. But what we're going to look at today is something that each one of us can apply in our faith. We can grow in our faith. You could be older in retirement, or you could be younger and starting your very first job, whatever it may be, we can find ourselves looking at these truths and seeing how they are underpinnings for God's holy people. And they teach us how to live, how to act, and how we should think about finances. So my prayer for you this morning, as I've been preparing this, has been that it would help to deepen your understanding of finances from a biblical perspective. I also think it'll be an encouragement to those of you who have given sacrificially to God's work, particularly the barn. Like, I don't know what Brian said last week. I didn't see that part. In the, I only saw the message. But I was like, man, like, you said that you just, like, we're gonna tell people you're gonna email them, but based on the overwhelming response from folks, it sounded like you must have said, like, I'm gonna come to your house and hold your dog for ransom because, like, people were just like... <laughs> Given everything, so that was great, so good job, whatever happened last week, and in addition to that, I think that these principles, over and over again, they're going to stir your heart for God's heart regarding finances, something, again, that we all deal with. All right, last caveat here, if you ever listen to a financial podcast, which I listen to quite frequently, they always begin with these, like, caveats or these disclaimers. They say, Uh, hey, what we're giving you is not financial planning, so don't sue us, right? Well, what I'm telling you is, what we're gonna talk through is God's financial advice, and you can trust him and rely on it with your own, uh, with your whole heart. Don't sue me, but you can sue God, I guess, if you really want to. So again, back to the main idea. Financial faithfulness begins with God. And I purposely say faithfulness because we will all give an account. Many parables and teachings in scripture remind us that we are to be stewards of what God has given us and we will either receive a reward for faithful stewardship or we will be disciplined. So let's use Proverbs to study three principles on financial faithfulness. You could probably do 300, you know, but we're gonna look at three. Principle number one, trusting the Lord is the foundation of our finances or for our finances. I think that uh, the idea of trusting the Lord as the foundation for our finances is one that you will not see on, I don't know what financial networks are, CNBC or something. But for us, we see this in scripture. And I love that a conversation on finances begins with a famous proverb, like Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Because usually this is applied to like senior graduates who are uh, you know gonna go off to college or people starting a marriage again or whatever it may be. Proverbs three, five to six, look at this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That applies in every area, including finances. And I'm convinced that a discussion on, on financial freedom does not begin with having more money in your bank account. It begins with an unwavering trust in the person and the provision of God. I'll say that again, I think that's too important for us here, uh, that I'm convinced that a holy discussion on financial freedom doesn't begin with just having more or less money in your bank account, but again, uh, regarding an unwavering trust in the person and the provision of God. Proverbs 11:28 says this, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Let's not reduce our deepest security to financial security, but a security that is anchored in the person and the work of our God. God takes care of his people who trust him. Do you believe that? Psalm 84 says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's why that song we just listened to I think is really good. Maybe you should re-listen to it this week about God's goodness and his faithfulness. those, Those characteristics are definitely part of this conversation on finances. We either trust God or we do not. We either believe that he will take care of us or we don't. And usually when we say we don't, what it means is we trust ourselves if we're not trusting God. So who is better at taking care of you, you or God? I know the church answer is God. The kids down the hallway, they would say, yeah, God is better at taking care of us, but we might struggle with that, and we might not live that way. We might think, hey, it's us. By the work of our own hands, I am able to take care of myself. And some of that is from our upbringing, some of that is from our parents or our personality or whatever it may be. We might find ourselves believing that we can take better care of ourselves than God can. And my challenge for us as God's people, as Christ followers, is to remember that God can take better care of us than we can. So let's trust Him with our lives, including our finances. Here's a quick test to kind of gauge where you allow your security to be when it's this conversation on finances. Do you feel less anxious about your money? By the hypothetical dream of winning the lottery, and then like all your financial problems will go away, supposedly although it doesn't happen. But anyway, so <laughs> that's a whole nother topic. But the hypothetical dream of winning the lottery, oh, that'd be so awesome. Or do you feel less anxious about your money by telling yourself the absolute truths from Scripture that your heavenly Father will provide everything you need and even many of your holy desires? He really does come through in so many of those areas that you are praying and and asking him on. I think for many of us, we would find ourselves feeling less anxious about money if we won the Powerball, but the reality is we should feel even more secure and uh, peaceful, less anxious, whatever it may be, about our financial situation when when we read scripture and when we remember who our God is. Listen to this proverb. I love this more and more. I really clung to this. Um, I, 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 I think of this proverb when we, you know, every like two months now, there's like a scare about like a famine and stuff. So like Proverbs ten three, it says, the Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Trusting the Lord is the foundation for our finances, as I've said. Now I've, find it kind of bizarre that we will trust him with our eternal life and with our soul, but not with our wallet. So friends, if he can take care of our eternal needs, then let us also remember he can take care of our material needs. When we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, as Hebrews 12 tells us, we remember that God's economy works a little differently than the world's economy. There are certain things about God's economy and his system and and what the word says That defies human logic. And one of those, you know, it involves trusting the Lord in this, is the world's economy would say to build wealth, you got to just reinvest everything you get. In fact, the first you get, the first fruits you get, you would reinvest those and maximize that income. But God says, give away the first fruits. How am I supposed to make money if I'm giving it all away, right? Well, Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Listen to these. And this is Proverbs. You know, I just love this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Again, Proverbs 3. We love verses 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Hey, how about you keep reading Proverbs 3. It's honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, the, uh, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So, If you feel kind of anxious about trusting God's provision, if you find yourself listening to this and just wondering, I just kind of need another anchor point of scripture, let me remind you of kind of my catch all. I go to this all the time. Recently just read this when I was feeling kind of anxious about not, no, I think it was money. I don't know, a lot's happened in 48 hours for me, (laughs) which is crazy, but Matthew 6.33 says it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I go to that verse over and over. So do you trust the Lord with your finances? If you don't, I'm convinced because of the track record I see in ministry and how this works with people, he will continue to repeat the lessons in your life over and over again until you can finally be open-handed about it. There will continue to be a trial of some sort, teaching the same thing until you can say, yes, Lord, I give this over to you. It's a difficult step, and uh, it's, not a, it's not easy to do, but I encourage you to listen to that prompting and to be obedient there. I, listened to, I heard some guy preaching the other day, and he said, uh, it's not enough to just Read God's word, but you got to be obedient with God's word. And it's when you are obedient that you actually begin to grow. And I found that to be pretty insightful because how he was applying it, and I would agree with this. Anyway, so that's the first principle trust the Lord. Number two is that God honors hard, honest work. So Proverbs 10 4 says this lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. God honors hard work, and God honors honest work. Your labor has value and God uses our labor to earn income rather than living off the labor of someone else. Right, as my parents used to tell me all the time as a kid, money does not grow on trees. That's right, you gotta go earn it. Well, Proverbs twelve eleven tells us this. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. You know, because of the fall in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, work is difficult. There is sweat and there is effort and sometimes you don't want to work. There could be apathy. Sometimes your work isn't as fruitful as we would expect or what we've seen in other areas and the struggle with this can be quite real. Genesis three says it this way in the second half of verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. When we work, there is a toil involved. It doesn't always come easy, like it may have, you know, it seems to have, implies it has, before the fall of mankind. Do you trust the Lord to give you strength when you are feeling that toil in your work? Whether it's a job you enjoy doing or one that's really difficult to do. I think of Nehemiah six, verse nine. I read this often, I pray this often, where Nehemiah says at the very end, now God strengthen my hands. And that's my, my encouragement for you. If, you. if you're just struggling to fulfill your obligations and work, ask God to give you the grace to do the job. And then you actually experience that profound interaction of his work through you. It's not even your own work. It's not even your own ability to do the job, whether you love it or hate it. God works through you. So as we think about God honoring hard, honest work, there are two temptations that tend to kind of rise in these moments. One temptation is to be a lazy worker. You could be an apathetic employee. You could be telling yourself, hey listen, I'm not paid enough to give real effort, so I'm not gonna do that, you know. I'm only paid 50% of my market value, so I'm gonna work 50%, whatever it might be. Well, as a Christian, you should be marked by your excellent efforts, whether you are cleaning a toilet or working in the c C-suite. Colossians three seventeen tells us this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so even if you hate your job or even if the reason you're in the job you are is because like the short stick and like the circumstances, let's act like Joseph. If you recall in Genesis, Joseph here, his worst circumstances and he gets sold off to Potiphar. Well, God uh, uses Joseph, in a mighty way, Potiphar sees that Joseph is a diligent worker and promotes this guy to be head over the household. Genesis 39.3 says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success uh, in everything he did. Uh, I read that wrong, but nonetheless, that is, that's the verse. I think we have it on the screen. Joseph, he didn't mope and whine, he worked hard and diligently and God worked through him and perhaps that's what he is doing in you. So do you work hard? Is that how you would be described by your supervisor? Uh, Do you just go through the motions? When I read scripture, especially Proverbs, the language is consistently language like this, diligence and follow through and quality. Listen to chapter 22, 29, it says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And Proverbs 12, 24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. So let me just remind you, not only does God honor this kind of work, but you you may be in the job you're in because God needs you there as a gospel witness to advance what he's doing, right? So like, similar with Joseph, and that was a whole plan to go before, and and we've talked about that at length at different times for the people of Israel. Perhaps God has you in the place that you're in. In fact, I would say not so much perhaps as in probably not, I'd say most likely. You are in the place you are because God needed a man or a woman who knew him and would stand for him and could be a gospel witness, a light, a... A, a, a man or a woman of peace, God's peace through you, to convey the gospel message to people who would never join us in the church or n- they wouldn't watch a sermon on you know, YouTube or something, you know, whatever it is. They need you there. So that's one temptation. Another temptation could be to maximize earnings through deceptive means. You might view cheating the system as ingenious or even you're right, But Proverbs talks a lot about this. It feels like this could be a sermon in itself because of how much Proverbs addresses this kind of stuff. For instance, uh, 11 verse one says, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. There's a lot of Proverbs about uh, scales that are accurate or not. Well, how about for us, in your business dealings, are you looking out only for yourself at the misfortune of others? Do you say, hey, it's not my fault they didn't ask questions or they didn't do their due diligence? Is that how you live? Do you exploit the youthfulness of the person you're in business with? Proverbs eleven twenty six 26 says, do not exploit the poor because they're poor. Do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. You know, we live in, in green here where a lot of people either run their own business or they have a family business of some sort. Or even side hustles, and when you're having these kinds of business transactions, or even Facebook Marketplace or something, you know, what kind of person are you in those business dealings? Do you follow that principle of uh, "don't ask, don't tell"? In which, if they don't ask, then you don't disclose what's actually going on there. And in the process, you save like you know, twenty bucks, two hundred bucks, two thousand bucks. I don't know what, twenty thousand dollars. Is that worth a good name? For instance, and I don't think any of us would do this here although it's probably happened, in which you're selling a car and it's got rust and you just spray paint over it and then you get the buyer there and they're like, hey, does this have rust? And you look around and you're like, I don't see any rust. It's like, of course you don't see any rust. You paint it over it. And you're like, hey. And you use some sort of weird moral code to come about that. Lynn and I, we have this fancy bassinet, which I'm kind of... Um, embarrassed to describe because I know a bunch of you boomers slept in like a shoebox or a a dresser drawer. But for our kids, after the first one was just a horrendous sleeper, we invested in this smart bassinet in which it like rocks the baby to sleep on its own if the kid cries and we just like keep sleeping. And so we did that and then we've let other people borrow that, and now it needs to go up for sale. In fact, you might either see it on Marketplace soon or uh, at this like, garage sale next, next weekend at the office. And so we gotta get this thing out of our room. There's like no room in our, in our bedroom. We gotta get this out of our room. And so it is tempting to say, hey, it's, it's, uh, it works great, like fantastic, right out of the box. That's not true at all. That thing has been used well by all the children that are in there. And somebody's gonna get it, it'll still function right. It's a little more robotic than it should be, but it's like, it's, you know, it'll work. And the difference on that is, a, is several hundred dollars probably for us, whether we uh, would lie about it or not, but we're not gonna. Uh, not only because I'm a pastor publicly saying this on Facebook, but also <laughs> because that's just not what we are to do as God's people. So I encourage you, if you've cheated someone, If God brings to mind a situation where you have not done right, I think you should confess it to God, first of all, and then also make restitution financially to that person. Maybe go above and beyond the way the tax collector Zacchaeus did when he encountered Jesus' transformational love. God honors hard, honest work. A Couple more verses with this to help us round it out, and then we'll move on to the next principle. Proverbs 22, one says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. You know, when I officiate funerals, people, they wanna remember and they wanna celebrate your love and your friendship and the things you did for other people. No one's talking about the estate that you have or the, uh, the amount of money that person is valued or worth. No, we, we love to celebrate the memories and the stories And uh, and and a person's good name. Proverbs thirteen eleven along these lines says dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So I have this quote for you. I don't have it on the screen, but it's regarding finances. So it says like financial lust is when our hearts become so consumed with the accumulation of material assets that we start to see dollar signs in front of our moral integrity. Even worse, we begin to see our moral integrity as a barrier to wealth that needs to be circumvented and potentially even destroyed. So do you work hard and do you work honestly? Well, God honors that kind of work. Third principle, last one for us, is that God hates greed. I wanna talk about greed uh, here in, in two ways, greed as both and unhealthy eagerness for wealth, as well as an unhealthy withholding of generosity. So with an unhealthy eagerness of wealth, there are several verses describing this, and rather than talking about it, I'm just gonna read all these verses. Listen to these, I mean, you listen to this, and you go, wow, I have to run from greed at all costs, or an unhealthy pursuit of wealth at all costs. It will ruin you. All right, Proverbs 15, 27. It says, the greedy bring ruin to their households, right? Not just themselves, their whole home, their whole estate. But the one who hates bribes will live. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. That's you know from Solomon when he wrote Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 28:25 says the greedy stir up conflict but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Luke 12:15 says and then he said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Another one for you is out of Hebrews 13:5. I love how God anchors our ability to um, or our need to overcome greed, he anchors this in remembering his presence and his provision. So he says this in Hebrews thirteen, five. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I just love how he 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 contrasts or he clashes our desire our, our human fleshly desire for the pursuit of money. He he clashes that with his presence and his his, uh like, never-ending pre- presence, honestly. You would think it would be, I don't know, an array of other things that might, might pull us up out of the love of money, but it's his presence alone. And it reminds me of this question, if you have Christ, what else do you really need? We we can find our all in Jesus Christ, and... Uh, That's a profound and worshipful moment when we begin to walk in that way on a a regular basis. The last passage I have for you on this this matter of an unhealthy eagerness for wealth is 1 Timothy 6, 9. This is really, uh, uh, verses 9 and 10, and even this whole section of the chapter is pretty stern, and I find it to be kind of a... um, it stirs within me like a, a sense of holy fear about this matter, and that any of us could fall into this, and just the destruction that it causes, not only within our home or our household or our name, but then even our faith. I mean, literally, in the, you'll see in, this in a moment, it, 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 it describes how you can wander from your faith because of just the, the poison of greed. So 1 Timothy 6, nine to 10, this is those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right, so all these different verses, are ones that describe an unhealthy eagerness for wealth that are characteristic of greed. The other side of greed would be withholding generosity in an unhealthy way, in a way that is, you know, you might use excuses, you justify it using language like, I'm just being careful or I'm just being thrifty, but the reality is it's like a self-centered stinginess that's not honoring to the Lord at all. And so as we think about this kind of uh, unhealthy withholding of generosity, uh, there's a few different tests that we can examine ourselves with. One of those would be this. So we're, we're about halfway through the year, the calendar year. Well, ask yourself, if Legacy is your home church, have you financially given to God's work at Legacy? And and, and what I mean is not even necessarily the general fund, although it is very helpful to have the lights on and electric work and everything, and, and, and our staff, and everything. But what I'm talking about is like think about all the array of opportunities that are amazing ways for how God is working in our church. One is buying this barn and contributing to that. One is uh, sponsoring a student to go to camp. One could be giving to mission trips with all the different trips and all the people going on these trips. There's a lot of ways there. One is giving financially to restore and our ministry to help people overcome uh, what they have fallen into. One could be working with our pregnancy center and giving to that, or the local food bank here, because these are our local partners and we give to them monthly. One could be even uh, uh, helping contribute to our monthly donations to our mission partners in Columbia and Kenya and West Virginia. So that's just, uh, that's most of them. There's probably one or two that I'm not even thinking of. And I think that all these kinds of things are a good assessment for us to say, you know, uh, are we withholding from good things that God is doing? And if we are, we might be guilty of saying, well, I just wanna give with my time or give with my talents, and I appreciate strong, robust volunteering. But I'm also reminded of that story of the widow in the Gospel accounts, I didn't pull the verse up, but she gave two little pennies, right, and it honored the Lord. And it's a reminder for us that even if what we give is the pennies that are a sacrificial, cheerful and a prayerful um, gift, even if it's small in the world's eyes, it honors the Lord. And so we should be giving. I think some of us might struggle with this, this a little bit of a deception, I'll I'll call it out strategizing God. Um, It's something that I had to work through when I was a younger adult. And that is which I'd say, how about I invest a bunch now And I'll give later, like when I'm 60, 70, 80. So, you know, Lord, I'm going to withhold like all this money now because think of all the mission work I can do when I'm an old man. Like I can sponsor a bunch of stuff. And God was pretty direct to say, well, uh, that's your wisdom and that's your plan, but that's not what God has outlined in Scripture at all. Nor is it what I have seen modeled in the life of godly Christian men and women who have walked with the Lord over the decades of their life. They are, uh, you know, they just don't live that way. So follow their model and how they how they apply Scripture in a very common way here. And so. Uh, Does the foothold of greed have a place on your heart? I'm gonna remind you that greed is toxic. It is like drinking poison, and it's self-inflicting, and so we must kill that sin in our heart before it kills us. So there are those three areas. We wanna trust the Lord. We wanna remember that God honors hard and honest work. And then lastly, God hates greed. And with all this, it gives us these biblical precepts about financial faithfulness beginning with God. Because finances is something that we all deal with, it'll be on our mind, I don't know, maybe today or tomorrow or sometime this week, in one way or another. It could be a commercial, it could be a bill you receive. I got one the other day, I didn't expect that. you know. And all sorts of things. And when it happens, I want us to remind ourselves of even these principles. Trust in the Lord, working hard and honestly, and fighting against any fleshly desire to have greed have a foothold in our life if you would like prayer on this matter while we conclude here with worship with Trenton and you and the team come on up here uh, as we sing this last song I want to ask that you would receive prayer if you would like that you know treating that treating this matter very similar to other spiritual matters if we talk about I don't know being um, well pick any Anything, my mind's my mind's done, so I got no more examples. But other sermons, we say, hey, come respond with prayer. And you're like, oh, I need prayer. Well, same with finances, we all need prayer at times. And so if that is you, and you'd like that, um, I'll be up here, uh, Pamela, you can join me, and a couple others on the prayer team, I'd love to have you all join us. Uh, and we wanna be uh, available to pray. And also, as just a repeated reminder to, Sign up for Financial Peace University, or talk with our staff, or with Brian. We can get you the link to the resource there. We have a subscription for a year with it. I used it this last week. I opened it up, logged in, saw the whole breakdown. We're like this was great. I felt very welcomed by uh, the whole break. You know, set of resources that they have there. So whatever it takes, let's grow in this area and um, and do well. So let me pray for us, Heavenly.